Hi, I'm Allison Hess. And I'm Sophia Fabili. Welcome back to the Playhouse Podcast. And guess what? It's our 40th season. There's lots to celebrate, including eight shows to see this summer. And the Playhouse Podcast brings a behind-the-scenes look at our action-packed season to give your ears a front-row seat. Cheers to 40 years! Welcome back to the Playhouse podcast. We're recording today on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabeg peoples. This land is part of the dish with one spoon wampum, which is a peace agreement between the Haudenosaunee and the Anishinaabeg, and extends the area surrounding the Great Lakes and the St. Lawrence River. Subsequent Indigenous nations, settlers, and newcomers are invited into this treaty in the spirit of peace, friendship, and respect. Thank you so much for joining us back on the podcast. My name is Allison Hess, and I'm here with... Sophia Fabili. Thank you so much for joining us for episode six of the Playhouse podcast. Time is flying, and we are so excited for this next show. Today we are talking to Esther Jun, who is directing Kim's Convenience. We are so lucky to have Esther here for so many reasons. She has a long relationship with this play, and we can't wait to dive in. Esther, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Hello. Hello. Okay, Esther, so this is the part where we read your bio and talk about how awesome you are while you sit and watch us do so. So embarrassing. (laughs) Okay, so most recently, Esther directed Jordy Mann's adaptation of Little Women, which is currently playing until October at the Stratford Festival, as well as I Am William. She's also directed at Tarragon, Soul Pepper, George Brown, Talk Is Free, The Belfry, Great Canadian Theatre Company, and more. She is the Artistic Associate in Planning and the Director of the Langham Directors Workshop for the Stratford Festival. And she originated the role of Janet in Kim's Convenience at the Fringe and Soul Pepper. Esther, I have so many questions. <laughs> <laughs> Should we just go? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, in. let's do it. So Kim's Convenience premiered at the Toronto Fringe Festival in 2011, where it won Best New Play, sold out its run. It got picked up for Best of Fringe, where it also sold out its run. Ten years later, it just wrapped up five seasons on CBC and Netflix. But let's go back and start at the beginning. So how did you get involved in the original production? And what was your experience like at The Fringe? Honestly, I don't I don't really remember exactly how it started. But I was introduced to Ince uh, through a mutual friend. And uh, I don't remember. Ince just sort of randomly called me one day and said, hey, do you want to read this? part uh, and I did and there there have been so many drafts of Kim's Convenience like Ince has been working on it for w- w- uh, did work on it for several years and so I think he just sort of called me randomly there were lots of different workshops and I think I only did about two of them um, and so the he won the new play contest at Fringe meaning you just put your script in and if it wins the if it wins it actually then gets an automatic slot so that's what happened and so he literally called me out of the blue one day <laughs> And just said, hey, I won this. Do you want to do the show? Um, and it just worked out that I was available. So that is how we started Fringe. And just for our listeners, we like to explain things as we go. The Fringes usually run on a lottery system. So people put in, you know, their slip in a bucket. And whoever gets pulled gets a spot in the festival, which has, I think, over 100 productions usually. Yeah. Um, but the winner of the New Play Festival it gets a secured spot. So it's yeah. a very highly claimed position to be in. Yeah. And so your fringe experience, the, the play, in short, blew up. Yeah, well, it, I mean, it was funny. We were rehearsing in a church. We didn't technically even have a director. Ince was sort of directing it. Um, but, you know, with the cast we had, Paul, Jean, myself, and Andre Sills, like, we'd all been with the project 
for a few years in various workshops, as I mentioned. So we just sort of put it up. <laughs> and then, I mean, what can I say? After our first show, which was at the Bath Bathurst Street Theater, I think was the only show that wasn't fully sold out. And then after that, I have actually never performed in a not sold out house of Kim's Queenus. Maybe maybe like once or twice at other theaters, but they've always been like the the, the re- reception was shocking. <laughs> well, I don't know, maybe not shocking, but yeah, it was shocking. We weren't that surprised, <laughs> but it was a lot. Like we felt a little bit like rock stars. <laughs> You're totally rock stars. You're totally rock stars. I mean, I think it's really exciting too. There are there always are a couple shows at the fringe that kind of bubble up to the top and like the hot ticket. But I think that I think it's safe to say, looking back on everything that's happened, that you're kind of in a whole other other echelon. You know what I mean? Yeah, I guess. I mean, we are the dream of I think any fringe production in theater, right? Totally. I mean, to get picked up by a major company like Soul Pepper, but then obviously to turn be turned into a TV show. Yeah, I mean, it was unprecedented, and uh, it. I mean, it's like wow. Now that you put it in, like, like putting it in perspective, I'm a little yeah. bit like, yeah, wow, that was a trip. It was a bit of a trip. Yeah, and like you're just. You're just there and you're doing it and like the day to day is no different than any other show I'm sure but then like to feel that reaction it just must almost feel like an out of body experience. Um yeah, it was you know, it wasn't so much about the success of the show, it's just it was the reactions of the audience and like the way people would come up to you and they're sobbing and they're just talking about like this is my father's story, this is my mother's mm-hmm. story or I was I'm that person. It was it's really moving, especially for me like I don't actually, I wasn't doing a lot of acting. Like I've been sort of focusing on directing for most of my career in Toronto. And so (laughs) I'm the person who wants to direct Beckett. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I have slightly more, you know, um, I guess theatrical (laughs) tastes. And, uh, but to see the reaction of this show and I was like, well, I'm like, this is what people want to see. I mean, I could do as many productions of Waiting for Godot as I want. It's not going to get the same reaction. So I think I, I learned something in that. Yeah, right? yeah, definitely. Um, and so as you said, Soul Pepper picked it up. But from you know what we've read, it sounded like it's had a bit of a bidding war from companies that wanted to also do the show. Um, do you like? Do you remember kind of when that transition happened? When you got the call, or when Ince got the call that it was going to be moving to Soul Pepper and have a life beyond the fringe? Do you remember that? Uh, I don't remember how long it was, but it was a few months. Um, I think Soul Pepper was always sort of ahead of the pack because of Ince's relationship with Soul Pepper. He was part of the academy, and uh, Soul Pepper had given us some resources and workshops, and, and I. Th- think he sort of went with Soulpaper because he sort of had a home there mm-hmm. and uh, you know they were interested in development it wasn't just let's just put the exact same show up and make money I think you know it, it could have I think Mervish was interested but I don't know there's an intimacy to Kim's that I don't know if it would work quite as well in a thousand seat house so uh, yeah but it was it it took a while. I recall all the time sort of waiting for the phone call, but also being afraid of, oh, they're going to pick it up and they're going to recast. Because, like I said, I hadn't done a lot of acting and like it wasn't um, the forefront of my career at the time. So I was so worried. I was like, oh, they're not going to use me. They're going to use somebody else. And then they called and it happened. 
And did everyone from the original Fringe production move on to the Soul Pepper? Like, yes. I know that Gene and Paul yeah. did. And they went all the way through, right? Yes. Uh, we all did. So, yeah, the first run of Soul Pepper was uh, Gene, Paul, myself, Ince, as Jung, and Andre Sills. So that was... Uh, there was one, actually, we did a Best of Fringe, which was up at, was it Toronto Center of the Arts, way up in North York, and then we went to Soul Pepper. Um, I, oh, jeez, I don't remember how long we did that for. We did a lot of shows. It was over I, 100. I know, I read, I, I can't, I'm so terrible with numbers, but I did read somewhere the number of per- performances that Inst did and Gene, it was just like... Very big numbers. In like 300 to 400s is what I seem to recall. Yeah, they sense? did. Uh, I think because I think I, it was either me or Andre were the first members of the original cast to drop out. Oh, wow. I got pregnant. <laughs> That's what <laughs> happened to me. But uh, I don't remember. Because, you no, know, because I did another, yeah, I did another production of Kim's uh, when we had Clay Bennett as opposed to Andre Sills. Got it. So... Who's gone on to do, like, I don't know, Marvel. (laughs) 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 So at Soul Pepper, Wayne Mangesha took over directing. And did the show from there, like you said, it's gone through many revisions over the years. Did you do, was there more development done on the script? Or did you basically polish the production that you're coming in the door with? What was that like? Yeah, I think it it was nice to have somebody like Wayne just give it more shape and direction. And us, you know, Inns was still, like, finessing writing. And, uh, you know, there was still, like, a little bit of improv involved, and especially Paul, who could play around all day, really. <laughs> so, um, yeah, from what I read, it's such a long time ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When he just, I feel like, refined it, deepened it, and, like, we settled into it, I think. And that's, she gave it the shape that I think, like, when I think of Kim's Convenience, it's, it's Wendy's production. As far as I'm concerned, that that production is what I continue to think of. Cool. Well, so since Soul Pepper, it's toured the country, played in New York, beat into a TV series, and now in Kananakwe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, and we've talked about your time kind of in the show, but how does it feel to now be directing this show that has such a history? It feels really natural. Actually, uh, this is not the first time I've been offered to direct it. I've just never had, uh, time-wise, it's never worked out. And um, I don't know, just because I think I was involved in development, it's such a deeply personal show. It's so personal. Like, I think, you know, the words that come out of Janet's mouth came out of my mouth (laughs) at some point. And all our experiences of the original cast are put into that show. Like, all our input was in there. So it, it, it does sort of feel like just returning home in a weird level. I think the biggest difference for me is because I have a child now, she's nine, it really sits, some things just sit a little differently because, oh my gosh, you know, when I did the show, I was very close to Janet's actual age. I was just a few years older. So, and I was still grappling with that journey. I was Janet. And now I'm starting to understand so much more of Appa and Oma's story being yeah. a parent. Yeah. And, I, like, I see my child and how, I mean, she's only nine, but still how she just is trying so hard to make her own place in the world, yeah. separate from me, which breaks my heart sometimes. But now, and then that's what I see actually Janet doing within the show. And then some of the things that Oma and Appa said, I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, that makes so much more sense to me before. It was I was so Janet-oriented back then, and now just because I'm seeing the whole story and being a parent now, I was like, right, 
I'm flipping sides. <laughs> I'm turned, I am the Oma and the Appa in the story. <laughs> so it's really deepened on a lot of levels. And it's been very emotional. I think when we did our first read, I was in tears because I was oh. like, I don't remember that hitting me so hard before. So... I love this this picture of this homecoming for you. I really, I mean, listening to you talk about it and this kind of full circle-ness of you coming back and now kind of switching sides to <laughs> the older generation's perspective, um, I just find that so beautiful. And yeah. I feel like you're the absolute right person to be directing this <laughs> show right now. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. I'm a bit caught up in my own emotion. No, <laughs> Allison, <okay>. please. <laughs> when I hear you talk about how, like, kind of you were... You were Janet, literally, and but then moving into this new perspective as a parent, and it sort of hits me like potentially. I mean, I, I don't know, but potentially why this show does resonate, not even in terms of like the immigrant experience, which is like a whole other conversation, but that there is kind of an entry point for everybody mm-hmm. to come into the show and to see themselves in it. Um, you know, whether they're kind of trying to, you know, move away from their family or they're, they have children. Um, but I wonder if you, do you have any thoughts of, of why this particular show does strike a chord with so many people? Well, it's exactly what you just said, right? Like, it is about the relationship between parents and children, regardless of what side you're on. (laughs) So, um... And so it's it's absolutely universal. Of course, I think, you know, it does resonate very strongly for immigrants because it is specifically an immigrant story as well. But there's, it's like the simple heart of it is about family and everybody has it, good or bad. And uh, anybody can recognize themselves in this story. Everybody's had fights with their parents. <laughs> All parents have had their kids yell at them and vice versa. And so, um, yeah, it's just that, that, you know what? And it's also like, it hasn't dated. Very clearly, the story is set in like 2012 um, (laughs) because there's some references to like Facebook, which was a lot newer back then. And so, and it's definitely obviously pre-COVID. So I didn't, like, I didn't want to change the time period. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a universal story of a, a family just just thinking on it. It's also so much about legacy, and I definitely think uh, everybody thinks about. I would hope, you know, what kind of stamp they want to leave on the world, and uh, that's. I mean, that's a more individual thing, but that's so ingrained in the story as well. And these are all universal things that anybody from any background has to grapple with eventually. So. Uh, yeah, it's it's been really lovely to come back to that and 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 see it. I think be, and because I'm a director, right? I think as an actor, I follow my actor story. You follow your character story, but to see the whole thing and then understand actually is like there's such a simplicity actually to Kim's convenience, which is why it's universal, and I think will continue to be a classic for many more years to come. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to ask about that, and then you sort of already answered it. But, you know, the idea of it being set in a specific time period, and then the world has changed a lot with COVID and with all of the changes in, like, the political landscape, and um, and to have a, a story that is so universal but still so specific is pretty cool. I know that's not really a question. It's more of a comment. But I just... Comments it, are good. Yeah, it, it just... Uh, when you were kind of saying that, it, it made me think, you know, 10 years it's been, you know, 20 years, 30 years, the things that will kind of stand the test of time. 
Yeah. So. And it's cool too because I feel like with old, you know with Beckett, I'm sure you have you have a long relationship with Beckett. I do. You do. <laughs> I can tell. I'm like I want to talk to you about that, but um, we won't. But <laughs> not on this podcast. Um, but it's really cool because I find you know a lot of new plays kind of come and they're around for a couple of years and then sometimes they don't have that same lasting effect. So it's so cool for you as a director to be able to come back to this to this script that you know so well and have now seeing it from this new perspective. Um, what element of the show are you most looking forward to? Something that is your jam about this show or about this story that you haven't already shared with us? Oh, um, well, one, uh, my sound designer, Maddie Batista, has actually come up with the Kim's Convenience theme song. Ah! <laughs> Which is so fantastic. I think, you know, I mean, it's different now because there's a huge amount of people, way more people have obviously seen the TV show. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's also really interesting. I mean, not to give away my age, but I'm a solid Gen Xer and sitcoms, I think, have changed. And so the comedy within this show is very classic sitcom, actually. And it's been a really interesting thing, sort of teaching the younger ones. Yes. <laughs> what the, when I keep saying sitcom acting, they're like, "What?" I had to give them examples. <laughs> I was like, "This is type, we got, you got to watch these older school sitcoms to get the yeah. comedy." But yeah, and then I said, because we're sort of fighting a, a more popular franchise being the actual TV show, I said, "Hey, Maddie, let's come up with our own theme song." And so she came up with a great one. It's it, it totally does sound like a sitcom um, theme song from the early aughts, but also with a like sort of a K-pop, but also like Korean drama vibe in it. So it's just great, and I think that's just a really fun thing. So I've used sound design in this in a way that we did not use in the first time, and I'm actually really enjoying that. So I'm obsessed. I haven't even heard it. I have no idea what it sounds like, but it, whatever's in my head, this idea, that's awesome. <laughs> it's great. I'm Does really excited. Does it play excited. right at the beginning of the show? Yeah, it plays at the beginning of the show. Um, and, there, and there's a few other places where you'll probably just, you know, hear maybe a little remnant of it. But uh, Maddie has done a really fantastic job. And so I'm really excited. <laughs> that is so, Okay, so folks, when you come see the show, listen to that music. Know that it's an original piece. I love that. And so, okay, kind of going into the sitcom and like the TV world. People can sit at home and just watch Netflix. They could just watch this show. What's your pitch about why they need to drive to get an Aquay and come see our production? Well, theater is about liveness. Like, you are in a room with other people experience something. And we all know this. Like, it's the most powerful thing in the world is to share the same experiences and emotions and laughing with a group of people together is the difference in any kind of live entertainment. So... You know, this is why you should come see it because you actually want to uh, share share and enjoy being human together in a room, I think is a very powerful thing. And, and that's sort of been a theme in a lot of the conversations we've had this season is with, with other it's actors, you know, um, directors, uh, designers, is that element of like coming back, especially after the pandemic mm-hmm. and sharing something, whether it was, you know, Perfect Wedding, which was a farce to laugh or, you know, Music Man with the dancing and the singing. But like that idea of like this being so important. And we've heard that a lot from our audiences as well, where they're like, it's just so nice to be back and to be laughing together and like crying together. Hopefully not too much, but, you know, just just enough crying. Um, (laughs) And 
I, I, I so agree. So everyone should come see the show in Gananoque, of course. And speaking of Gananoque, Esther, I know that you have so much free time between your <laughs> rehearsal schedule, which is like, you know, six days a week and all the other projects because she's, you know, very sought after director. Not sure if you noted how long and amazing her bio was. Um, but have you had a chance to enjoy Gananoque? And if yes, are there a few things that you've enjoyed while you've been here? Uh, I have. Uh, everybody here is so friendly. It's it's shocking. <laughs> I mean, yes, I do reside in Toronto, but I also have a place in Stratford, which is also super friendly. But e- the fact that the people in Gananoque are even friendlier is amazing to me. Um, and there's been some really good restaurants. Uh, Maple Leaf Restaurant. Oh, yes. R- proper name. Nice. Uh, I do love me some schnitzel. <laughs> <laughs> Schnitzel, schwarze, sauerkraut. I'm like, bring it on. I've only gone once, but I can't wait to go back. That's Uh, awesome. That's probably (laughs) truly a restaurant devoted to schnitzel. I cannot think of anything (laughs) more joyous. You know what? No one said that yet this season, Esther. <laughs> you are one of a kind, and now I'm craving schnitzel. <laughs> and I would agree. It is great. I've been it's there. Good. It's very good. It's good yeah. stuff. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Esther, listen, thank you so much. Just everyone knows we pulled her out of rehearsal today. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you for coming to get an Aqua to make this beautiful play. We're so excited to see it, to feel, to cry, listen to the theme song, go home talking about it. I'm so excited. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Uh, as always, we want to express special thanks to Mark Hunt, TIP's head carpenter, for composing the music. This podcast is sponsored and produced by MyFM Gananoque. Many thanks to Carrie and the MyFM team for all their help. And to buy tickets for Kim's Convenience, please visit us at thousandislandsplayhouse.com. All okay. right. See you. Okay, see you later. later. <laughs>